This morning, the, the heart behind this message, this is really a kind of a state of the church message. This is a beginning message. This is a message where I would encourage you that as we go out and we're inviting people to, hey, come check out my church and what it's all about, that this is the, the message on August 13th that they want to look up on YouTube or online because this will be a message where they'll get to know what our church is really all about and our perspective of what we're all about. And so as I really look across across the landscape of the American church. And I'm going to talk about the church a lot today. And when I speak about the church, uh, a lot of it I'm talking about the big C church overall, but we'll talk about abundant church, little c in there as well. But as I look across the landscape of the American church today, and in my own experience, and also in that of many of others that I've sat with who've been through church uh, and church services over the years, too many times I find myself uh, asking the same question, but also I'm, I'm hearing the same question, not only maybe verbally, but maybe in disposition, maybe in attitude, maybe uh, the way that they carry themselves, that really I can see it all over someone when they're really sitting there being like, is there something more to this church thing? Is there something more to all of this? Because on one hand, many of us have experienced a, a style of church that seems to be very personality-driven, where it, sometimes we're, we're not really sure, is that pastor building his name or the name of Jesus? On the other hand, we see churches all across America today that they're, they're very consumeristic, they're very preference-oriented churches who only seem to be focused on their own individual personal experience at church rather than seeing themselves a part of a bigger story and a bigger whole. It's really all about what they think and they want, what they desire, and less about the group. And so this morning, I want to uh, really bring light to what church is supposed to be and how we're going to operate, because what I know is that there are some of us who have been wondering week after week, Sunday after Sunday, is, that, is there really something more to all of this? There's some people I see that are excited, some people who may not be, but is there something more? You see... As you begin to learn about me over the weeks to come, there are some things that are not secret, and so I'm so thankful for Uncle B, as we've now coined his name for Brian. Uh, if you guys are you know, gracious enough to get us some gift cards, there's no secret. I love eating out, and I love Taco Bell, and I want a Baja Blast every day for the rest of my life. I don't drink coffee. I wish I did. Um, I don't like sushi. I wish I did. I feel like I'm a fake pastor because I don't like coffee, but that's my, that's my own uh, insecurity. But I love zero, uh, Mountain Dew Zero Baja Blast. It's the best thing ever. So anyway, I love eating out. Anyone love eating out with me out there? You just enjoy it. You love it. It's all fun. On the count of three, say your favorite restaurant. One, two, three, Taco Bell. That's what I heard. You see, what I love about eating out is really the convenience of it. It is so convenient. You know, I get to go there, and, and I'm paying money, but I'm paying for the convenience of the whole operation. I'm paying for the convenience of somebody else to do the shopping, somebody else to prepare the food, cook the food, somebody else to serve me the food, and then the best part, can anyone say amen, somebody else to clean up after me. You know what I mean? That's like the worst part. You see, there's little to no effort on my end. As a consumer at a restaurant, I just come in, I pay the money, I sit down, I'm served, I stuff my belly, right? My only effort is like 
you know, uh, my, my belly and my shirt getting tight. You know what I mean? Whereas the effort is all on those who are serving me. You see, truly the heart of a restaurant, it is built around the comfort of the customer. It's all about the customer. The customer is right. Everything is all about the customer. And so when we go to a restaurant, our expectation of that restaurant is that they are going to meet every need. My, my drink is going to be filled up. I'm going to get my food the way that I ordered it, and they're going to take care of me, and even some things that I don't ask for. And in return, I'm going to pay them a sum of money for the services rendered to me. I'll wear a shirt and maybe even a pair of shoes. That's really all that's expected of me, right? And as a business, a restaurant, there's no hiding the fact that really the ultimate real goal of that restaurant is to build the best model, the best food, the best franchise, the best brand, the best reputation, and to have really the best experience because the better that they are, the more people that will come and the higher their income goes and the more that they can expand, which will ultimately bring the ownership and will bring the people who work there. It will bring them the accolades and the write-ups in, in, on social media and ultimately all the glory. That's what a restaurant's all about. You see, the problem is that in too many places in America, the Big C Church has become just another restaurant. There's no secret that America loves these kinds of church. What we love about this kind of church is the convenience of this kind of church. We come and we pay in our tithes, we pay in our time for the convenience of somebody else to do most things for us. We're paying for someone else to go and shop. We're paying for someone else to prepare, to cook, to serve us spiritual food, and then to clean up all of our stuff that we leave behind. There's little to no effort on our end as the American church because we're coming in, we're expecting the best worship, we're expecting the best message, we're expecting everything is the song that I like and this that I like and and no effort, I came in with no effort but to just consume and all the effort is on the people on the platform and in the admin offices. You see, truly this kind of church is built around the comfort of the customer. And it becomes a business kind of transaction. That the expectation is that the the leadership will provide and meet every need that you ask for. And most times when conflict comes is that we're not providing for the things that you aren't asking for, but you're expecting us to read your minds. And your response then is that you'll pay your tithe if we tow that line. You see, and if the church is not careful, it'll begin to lean into the same business as restaurants in effort to build the best church, to build the best franchise, and build the best brand in the region, to have the best reputation, and and to have the best experience, which isn't bad because we want to have a good reputation for Jesus, but instead of bringing Jesus glory, the efforts to do all of this ultimately brings the leadership glory, brings the pastor glory, brings him the accolades, the write-ups, and all that good stuff. And so many of you, you are skeptical of the church. You may be skeptical of the church because of what you've seen, what you see on social media and maybe some celebrity, what you would call pastors, or maybe what you've seen in your own history, or maybe you're unsure about how things take place within uh, the, the, the finances of the church. And so ultimately you get to the place where you're wondering, is there something more to all of this? You see, Week after week, 
Sunday after Sunday, sermon after sermon, service after service, year after year, funeral after funeral. Is there something more? Or is church just another aspect of, our, of, of a complicated schedule and our busy lives that, that we just try to fit church into our lives? And it's kind of like a dentist appointment where we know we need to be there, but if something else comes up, we'll cancel on that any moment we can. Is there something more to church than just showing up a couple times a month, doing a couple spiritual transactions between you and the Lord, getting a couple feel-goods and goosebumps from a music or a line in the sermon, and then going about the rest of our lives? Is there something more to this church thing? Is this what Jesus intended the church to be when he launched it 2,000 years ago? And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. Because I want you to know that there is something more to this church thing. And when we discover what Jesus meant when he said, and we sang this song, I will build my church, we get to see what he really meant and how that applies to our lives. And then we don't come to church in a consumeristic mindset, but we begin to begin have life when we come and we have participation when we come. And it brings us so much life because the church should be alive. And so to find that out this morning, what Jesus really launched 2,000 years ago, we must go back to the beginning. And so if you have your Bibles with me, and I would encourage you, bring, bring a paper Bible if you can. Uh, I, I love the electronic stuff, but I would encourage you, bring a paper Bible um, next week, and we'll have it on the screens behind me, but it's, it's cool to kind of go through. I usually preach from the NLT, so uh, the New Living Translation. Um, that's what I kind of preach from because it just reads better. So if you had that you want to bring, whatever floats your boat, that'd be great. Um, but Matthew 16 is where we're going to kind of go back to the beginning of, of what the church is and what Jesus launched. Matthew chapter 16 And here we find, as you're turning there, Jesus is with his disciples, and he has begun his ministry. He's been healing the sick. He's been feeding the the 5,000. He's been uh, raising the dead. He's been doing all of these incredible things. And so he takes them on a journey, as he always does. And, And as Jesus is standing, and I didn't mention this in the first service, but... It says here, all, all scripture is inspired by God and all has really a meaning and a purpose. And so we see here, it says in verse 13 of chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. So there's a reason why he is saying that they came to Caesarea Philippi because right there where in Caesarea Philippi was known to be the gates of hell where they would worship the false god Pan and, and they would have all of these uh, super... Uh, uh, to different types of worship. Uh, they would have human sacrifice, sexual worship, and all this stuff. And there's a big cave entrance. I've been there with my own two feet, and I've seen where they believed the actual gates of hell were. And so Jesus is taking his disciples to what the region, what they believe are the gates of hell, and has this conversation. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's asking about his reputation. They said, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? If they're saying uh, I'm kind of a, a prophet coming back, who are you saying that I am? Then Simon Peter answered something that was 
in the Jewish world was absolute heresy and punishable by death. It wasn't just a mere words, but this was punishable by death, which ultimately led to the crucifixion of our Savior. And, and Peter said this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Sometimes we read over that and we glance over it because we're so custom and used to that. But to understand, just Peter saying those things out loud, he could have been punished by death. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And now remember where they were. And the powers or the gates of hell will not conquer it. Jesus literally took them on a journey because he didn't have a fancy LED screen to do all this fun stuff. So he had to get out in nature. How many of us wish we were out in nature more? Not me. I sweat a lot. And so I like the screen. He takes them on a journey and he takes them to what they believe are the gates of hell and he asks them a question. They respond that you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are God. And he says, that's right. And upon that confession that you are calling me God, you are calling me Savior, you are calling me Messiah, I will build my church on that confession and these gates of hell that these people think that they're worshiping the, 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 the false god Pan, the gates of hell will never overcome what I'm building. It'll never overcome. You see, this is the very first time that in our English New Testament that the word church is used. If I was a man on the street and I did that kind of a video thing and I went around the city of Alton in, in the Riverbend area and I asked people, what is church? We all know we would get a lot of different responses and, and some pretty crazy ones. And so when we read through the Bible and we're reading words, I encourage you, get a Bible dictionary. I encourage you, get a study Bible because words mean something. And the Bible was not written in English. It was written, the New Testament, in Greek. And so we want to get in there and figure it out because different languages obviously have different words. And the more important something is in one language, they'll have more words for it. So like the word love in, in our language is just love. But in another language, there's four different words for the word love because it was so important. So it's hard to translate something. So sometimes you have to really see what the original word meant. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning because Jesus was communicating something of extraordinary significance. And I'm going to go a little deep with you this morning. Is it okay that I go deep with you, that I teach you some God's word this morning, and we walk through and learn some things this morning? You see, the word church that Jesus used, as you may know, some of you, maybe some of you don't know, this is a Greek word that is translated throughout the New Testament as the word ekklesia. Everyone say ekklesia. What you may not know is that when Jesus used this word, when he used the word ecclesia, it was not a religious word. He wasn't basically saying, hey, Peter, on your confession that I am God, I'm going to build my synagogue. Or I'm going to build my church in, in where, as we think of the church today. He was not using a religious word. He was actually borrowing a word from the Roman military that he was then bringing into what he was establishing and what he was beginning. 
You see, the word ecclesia is uh, the Roman military. Whenever they would bring together a battalion of soldiers, they would come together. They would hear from their commanding officer what their marching orders were. That's the purpose. They would come together, and then they would be sent out to go and accomplish what their commander told them to do. And so if they needed to march north, they would come together to their ecclesia. They would receive their marching orders at that gathering, and then they would break away from that ecclesia, and they would go march north. Does that make sense? You see, an ecclesia was simply a gathering or an assembling of people called out for a specific purpose. It was never referenced a specific place, a specific location, but it always was only a specific gathering. So you could have an ecclesia anywhere. We could be out the Roman military, they could be traveling, and, and they're out in the middle of the woods, and they could call for an ecclesia. They would all come together, receive their marching orders, and go on about their business. You see, an ecclesia is a purposeful gathering of people. So when Jesus used this term, his disciples understood him to say that I am going to build my own gathering or my own assembling of people, and the foundation of this gathering will be me. Or I'm starting a movement that I'm going to advance my kingdom here on earth. And what is going to fuel this movement is the acknowledgement that I am God. Because there were many other gods during that day. And especially during the Roman occupation, the emperor was known as God. And anything that was against that was in direct opposition to the movement of Jesus. And therefore... The movement of Jesus at the moment it was a launch, it wasn't launched to fanfare and, and, and parades and, and, and birthday parties and balloons. No, when the, when the movement of Jesus was launched, it suffered intense persecution and was even outlawed for the first 300 years. Because the very basis and foundation of Christianity refused to accept that the Roman emperor was God. And because they would not accept that because there is only one God, they were outlawed. And not only outlawed, but consequently, Christians were barred from positions of authority. They were ostracized by their communities. They were charged with random crimes that they were innocent of. They were just immediately stripped of their property. They were crucified and lit on fire along highways to bright the light roads at night. They didn't have electricity that we know. And so instead of electricity, they said, go find me some Christians, put them to a stake and light them on fire so that we can find the way to our grocery store. Imagine living in that day and age that you're trying to take your children to the market to get some food. And as you're walking by, you're hearing grown men, grown women, and children crying on crosses lit on fire because they acknowledge Jesus is Lord and not the emperor. This is what the movement of Jesus was launched under, even to the point where they would gather Christians and they would bring them to the Roman Colosseum and they would put them out into the middle of, of the, the, the field out there and then they would, they would release wild animals to go out and for entertainment to the cheers and the jeers of the people in this stadium, our Christian brothers and sisters were torn apart and murdered. But God. 
even in the midst of unbelievable persecution of the first century. This grassroots movement of the ecclesia, because the ecclesia can meet anywhere. This ecclesia of Jesus, it survived because Jesus promised that it would. You see, for thousands of years, for 2,000 years, the enemy has been trying to stamp out, squash out, divide, diverse, and do everything he can to get rid of the church. But it continues to grow because Jesus said it would. You see, even in the same way that what this church has been through, it's over a hundred year old church. You've been through a lot of things here at this church. The enemy has been trying to, in different seasons, to stamp out the ministry of this church. But God continues to gather his people from every nation in an incredible diversity, in incredible ways that that God is still moving, God is still building, God is still growing this church because it's built on Jesus. You see, amidst the unbelievable persecution for the first 300 years, now stick with me, a little bit more history for you. Then in AD 313, a crazy shift happened. The Roman emperor, Constantine, he legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. Not only that, but he legalized the freedom of all religion in general. Imagine what this felt like for a Christian believer who was being persecuted and was afraid to meet, was afraid to be found out, but then now you can walk freely, you can gather freely. How incredible that would have been. Then something really big happened. Not only did Constantine legalize it, but he himself was converted to Christianity. The very emperor of Rome declared himself a Christian. Imagine the shockwaves that went out through the Roman Empire. After generations of failed attempts to stamp out this Jewish knockoff religion, the emperor himself joined the ecclesia, the movement of Christ. And suddenly, hear me, suddenly, because the emperor was Christian, it became fashionable to be Christian. You see, before Constantine's rise to power, Christian worship was obviously relatively informal. They had no buildings that they gathered in and things of that nature, no official places to meet. They kind of met in homes. They enjoyed what they called feasts, the ancient equivalent of a potluck dinner. Does anyone remember potluck dinners? Anyone get sick from a potluck dinner? After a meal... They sang songs, they read scriptures, they discussed theology, they were taught, and they shared communion because they knew we're gathering for a purpose to go out and advance the ecclesia. We're not gathering just to get a feel good because they were risking their lives to gather, but they gathered to receive from the Lord so that they could go and advance his kingdom. But you see, after Constantine's conversion, the Roman emperor powerful people they they brought the ways that they used to worship and they kind of brought them with them and began to influence the christian ecclesia christian worship began to incorporate elements of imperial protocol including incense ornate clothing processional choirs pageantry worship became formal and hierarchical and nothing is inherently wrong with these specific things but it was the shift of what took place and it was this you have to hear me It relegated the congregation from being participants in the ecclesia. It changed them to now being spectators. 
The theater was a huge thing and entertainment was a huge thing. And so as they were coming in, they were expecting a theater type of experience and it went from being something that people were doing life together and they were helping one another and they were serving one another. They then came and expected a platform to be entertained by. And within a decade, the ecclesia ceased to be a movement. It was no longer an expanding group of people sharing a unique identity and purpose But with the power of religious freedom in the land, the ecclesia stopped being a gathering of people and started to become synonymous with a location and a place. It became a place that you go to regularly than a gathering of people. The Romans began calling each of these gathering places a basilica, the Latin word that was used to denote a public building or an official meeting place, even Germanic cultures that were also influenced by the ecclesia. They used the word kirche in the modern German. This referred to any ritual gathering place, Christian or pagan. And this Germanic term became the one most used by those in the ecclesia of Jesus and from which we get the word church. So we saw this shift take place. And you may be asking me this morning, why is this important? Aren't you just talking about semantics of of what a word is and what the church came from, what the church is? But I would say it's extremely important this morning because this shift in vocabulary signaled a dramatic shift in emphasis and direction of what Jesus launched. You see, the church was no longer a grassroots movement that was built upon the simple understanding of who Jesus is. The church then became instead synonymous with a place and a location. What began as a movement dedicated to the advancement of the truth of Jesus Christ to every corner of the world became an insider-focused, hierarchical, ritualized, consumer-driven institution that bore little resemblance of its origins. And we can see the effects of that in the church today, can't we? You see, this is not what Jesus was launching so many years ago. You see in the book of Acts, which is the historical account of what Jesus did launch and and the, the upstart of it. It talks about how when they would come together, that they would literally sell everything that they had, and they shared everything in common. In Acts 4.32, it says that they had one heart and they had one soul, that whatever it took to keep the movement and the ecclesia going, they would sacrifice and give. Whatever it took. It was not about individualistic of what do I get to hold on to, It was about whatever it takes to keep this thing moving forward, I'm all in. And I'm going forward. You see, this morning, I'm going to talk about what our purpose is not and what our purpose is as we move forward into the best that God has for us. And so I want you to know that here at Abundant Church, as we try to tap into what Jesus was actually launching, I want you to know this morning that our purpose here is not to be a restaurant or to be a spiritual clinic. I've heard a lot of the times in the church world that we talk about, yeah, our church is a hospital for hurting humanity. And I, and I get that, that we want people to come in and be, be hope-filled and healed, and I agree with that. But what do people do at a hospital? They check in, they get better, and what do they do? check out. Now, we want people to be helped and nursed, and we want them to be healed, but we want them to stay. 
And so we're not going to be a restaurant where it's all about the comfort of the customers. It's going to be about what Jesus is calling us to and us sacrificing to whatever it takes to make the movement and the advancement of the kingdom of God in the Riverbend area. I'm all in, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Our purpose at Abundant Church is not to build the best brand. We're not going to be overwhelmingly worried about we're going to be the best church ever. We're going to be the best brand ever. I want us to have a phenomenal reputation, not because of the way that we look, but by the way that we treat one another. What did Jesus say? It's by the way that you love one another that people will know that you're a follower of me. And so if you're trying to build a brand, it's all about uh, uh, the logo, it's all about the building, it's all about the preacher, it's all about the worship, and it's all about that stuff. And, I, and I'm committing to you this morning, that's not who I am or what I want. Jesus is the head of this church, and I'm the under-shepherd just trying to figure out his will and leading us that way. Our purpose at Abundant Church is not to bring attention, not to bring fame, or not to bring recognition to any one of us or any of us collectively. It is to bring attention, glory, and frame and recognition to Jesus and Jesus alone. Our purpose and our reason is that we get to be a part of the same ecclesia. It's so incredible to think, and I want you to look at me and understand this. Everyone look at me. That what Jesus launched 2,000 years ago, when he stood up on that rock and was looking at the mouth of a rock that was open, that they believed the gates of hell were, when he said, your confession that I am God and I am Savior and I love you and I'm for you, have a plan for you, on this confession, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 2,000 years later, we get to join that ecclesia. We get to come together and gather and say, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If you're wondering, is there something more to church? Yes, there's something way more to church. There's something way more to be a part of it. It's not about just hopping in and hopping out whenever we want to because that's a consumeristic mentality. It's about coming together and discovering what God has for you to play a part in advancing the ecclesia. This quote is incredibly important to me, and I want it to be the lifeblood of our church. It's not my quote. I don't even know who said it. To me, it's unknown. If you want to Google it, you can find it, but it's not mine. But it's something that's very important to me, and I'd love for you to take a picture. If you believe in tattoos, you can get it on your body. I don't care. Just kidding. And that is this. The church is not built on the talents of the few but on the sacrifices of many. The church that Jesus is building is not built on the talents of a few gifted people with great personalities, but instead it is built on the sacrifices of many. It's easy to see that from earlier in our conversation this morning that when the church is built around the talents of a few people, the results become a restaurant, a consumeristic, a preference-oriented church. 
where we come in and we're expecting someone else to cook and clean and prepare and serve and do all those things for us because they're very talented. A great chef serves a lot of great people. But when we have that mindset that we just come to church and they're doing all the work and I just receive from it, that is not how the church is built. But when God's people understand that the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people for the advancement of his kingdom is only advanced. Hear me. It is only advanced through the sacrifices of many. the, the, The gospel of Jesus for the hearts of teenagers, for the hearts of our children, for the hearts of our seniors, for the hearts of those of your neighbors that they are lost and they know they're lost. Some of them don't know they're lost, but we know they're lost. Their hearts will only be found in the advancement of the gospel through yours and my sacrifice through our sacrifice what does jesus say if you try to save your life you will but if you try to lose your life you will sacrifice you know what marks a follower of jesus is great personal sacrifice you know what marks a lot of the american church great personal gain it's incompatible when we sacrifice God moves so what does this all mean it means the beginning of a shift of our mindsets and some of you are already there and praise God we're going to get some more people on there with us but it's the beginning of a shift in our mindsets of the why behind church here. The why behind our gatherings here. And so there's three main primary purposes that we will gather here in this building or maybe in homes and connect groups or going out to serve. Whenever we gather, this is what we are gathering to do. Number one, we will gather to experience God's presence together. We will gather to experience God's presence together because when we prioritize experiencing God's presence together with our spiritual family, it is in that which God uses these moments to unify and bond his people together. You want to know why there's so much division? You want to know why there's so much drama in churches today? It's because people aren't experiencing the presence of God together. They may be in the same room, but they're not experiencing it together. I mentioned in first service in the same way. You go on a missions trip and you experience God moving, that binds you together. And I was talking after service with a group who went to Panama a couple years ago and how they still do their own vacations together now because of that trip and how it bonded them together. You send your children to youth camps, you send your children to kids camps, and they experience the presence of God together. It binds them together. Us here on weekends and on Wednesday nights, when we experience the presence of God together in the altars, God unifies us and bonds us together so that we can't be broken. We want to experience that the truth of God's word, that when two or more are gathered together, he is here in our midst. Imagine with me just for a moment the very God who created the universe by the the words out of his mouth were the very agents that he used to create light, the very agents that he used to create the mountains of the most amazing scenery and the stars, the, the mouth of his, the, the words of his mouth were the very agents that he created, you and me, the God of the universe who always is and always will be, he is the great I am, is in the room right now with us. 
He's in the room right now. And sometimes we don't think about that. We don't glean on that. But where God's people gather together, he is in our midst. That is not something to take lightly. And so we'll experience God's presence together. Because in his presence, there's freedom. There's healing. There's unity. There's calling. There's deliverance. And we'll gather and experience that together. Amen. We will gather to be taught and trained according to God's word. The highest authority at Abundant Church is going to be this right here. God's word is what we will be led by. God's word is what we will be taught. God's word is what we'll be trained by. You see, regardless of where we think we are on the spiritual depth chart, we must humble ourselves by sitting under a teacher who diligently and prayerfully seeks the heart of God for his people. And that's what I'm going to strive and try my hardest to do is to diligently seek God and his heart for you and shepherd you and help serve you and help love you and help teach you and help lead you. And it's going to be my greatest honor and privilege to do that with you. You see, there's a whole lot of misinformation as the coined term in the world today that so many people like don't know what to believe anymore, that things that used to be shocking truths because there's been an erosion of truth in our world that we don't know what to believe. Just a couple weeks ago, aliens showed up on our, on our timelines on social media and we just scrolled to the next shocking thing. Like we don't even care. 20 years ago, aliens show up, and, and it's like Independence Day with Will Smith. Like, we're punching aliens in the face. But you see, our, with the erosion of truth in our world, creates an insatiable hunger for real truth, for the real thing. And the Spirit of God will speak to the, our spirit and reveal real truth. And we want to be a deep well, hear me, a deep well in a land that is drying up, in a land that is drying up, and old wells that used to be faithful are being filled in with dirt, they're being closed down, we want God to use this gathering of people to be a deep well of truth. That people can hear the life-giving word of God that will set them free. We will gather to experience God's presence together. We will gather to be taught and trained according to God's word. And then finally, we will gather at this ecclesia, at this church, to be empowered by his spirit for the work of the ministry. What did the little brother of Jesus, his name was James, what did he say? He said, don't only hear, but you must do. Don't just hear the word. That's consumeristic. Do the word. Imagine a a Roman battalion coming together, and they hear you're supposed to march north, and they go, oh, I feel so awesome about marching north. This is incredible. It's so, the north country is awesome, and there's snow, and I can, you know, eat snow, and it's going to be so fun, but then they never march north. Too many churches never march north. They come together, they hear, but they never go do. The ecclesia, what Jesus launched, the purpose of it was for people to be empowered by the Holy Spirit because we cannot do it on our own. 
We must be empowered because Jesus showed us he lived by the power of the spirit. And that's how he did all the things that he did by showing us that example. And he said that same spirit has now come and can empower us to go and do the same, but even more. But we've got to go and do. You see, my biblical mandate is not to be the talents of a few. Because if only a few people are doing the work of the ministry, we are actually living in disobedience to God's word. Because God's word says that my mandate as the pastor, as the shepherd, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. To equip you. And if I don't do that, I'm in disobedience to God's word. And I'm held to a higher standard as a teacher of God's word. And I'm going to do everything I can to obey his word. You see, our heart for you and the something more, is there something more here? What we know is that we're going to not find people to serve. We're not going to find people's gifts. We are going to discover your gifts because God has placed inside each and every one of you an unbelievable supernatural gift set that plays a massive part in advancing the kingdom of God here in the Riverbend area and all around the world. And it's our job to help get to know you, to help get to be a part of do life with you and help you discover your gift set so that you can be released and empowered to do the work of the ministry. And let me tell you this, when you buy in, when you jump in and allow us to partner with you in doing that, to find that gift set and to find your purpose, there's nothing more rewarding on earth than being a part of what God is doing through you. When you're an open vessel and God pours through you and people are saved and reconciled and restored and healed and delivered, when you see God operating through you, Nothing will touch that. What did Jesus say? I came to give you a more and better life. A more and better life than you could ever dream. Yeah, we sacrifice that more and better life for quick dopamine hits by chasing what's next. Something more is coming. You see, we accept that the advancement of God's church in the Riverbend area It's not left up to a few talented people who do all the work. But we must all be empowered by God's spirit to discover our purpose in this movement and be equipped by his spirit to carry it out. And that shift from consumption to participation, we don't come and gather to consume, but we come and gather to participate, to sacrifice for whatever it takes to get this thing to move forward then that ignites the something more in your life where it's not as much of a spiritual discipline to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church or on Wednesday night, but it's actually excitement that you can't wait to get here because of how you're playing a part in what God is doing. The tangible experience of this will be our Wednesday night prayer meetings moving forward. At Abundant Church, it's not semantics when we say prayer is the most important thing that we will do. Prayer is our first priority and not our last resort. Too many times we try to resort to every other thing under the sun. And when we've exhausted all of our time and our resources and our talent, we then say, well, then now we must pray. No, pray first. God is the one who owns the cattle in the thousand hill. He has the storehouses of heaven. If we tap into that, he will open and flood us with his resources that we can't even imagine. And so I can understand it can be difficult to attend prayer meetings when we, learn, we, we lean towards the consumeristic mindset of what's in it for me. They don't tend to be these loud and exciting and, and whatever it may be, even though I think it will be. 
But I get it. There's a lot going on in your weekly schedules. There's a lot going on with your children going back to school and work. There's a lot going on to add another church night. But if it's just a church night, if it's just a location that you just check in and check out, then I get it. It's hard to get to. But when you shift your mindset to what we are doing here, that it's not just a part of our lives, but the ecclesia, it is all of our lives that we come together and we understand what we're really a part of is the global movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, how not only our participation in it calls for our personal sacrifice, but in all reality, prayer is the most important aspect in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. And at the same time, while we're praying, our children and youth, they're getting to experience God's presence together. They're getting to be taught and trained according to God's word. And they're being empowered to do his work of the ministry as well. Because they're not only the church of the future, but they're also the church of today. And we need our youth. Didn't they kill it this morning? Like up here using their gift set in an incredible way. We need our youth. And we need our children. The children were the one who brought their lunch to Jesus. That manifested that unbelievable miracle. Everyone plays a part, even all the way down to Salah, who's three months old. You see, when we shift our mind from consumption to participation, there's a shift in how we serve. Because it's not just, yeah, I need to serve in church because that's the Christian thing to do. It shifts your mind. It shifts our mind in terms of giving. Oh, I need to give to the church because... I need to be a good, good, good giving person. But as Brian was saying this morning, no, your first 10%, that's just obedience. Anything beyond that is generosity. God calls for the first 10% as your tithe, as a way to recognize that he is God and you are not. He is your Jehovah Jireh. You are not your own provider. And when he provides for you that you can trust God more with 90% than you can trust with your 100%. But it is an act of faith for you to jump into that. So I'm gonna encourage you. If that 10% scares you, there's personal sacrifice in that. I get that. Jump in at 1%. Jump in at 2% and allow God to encourage you in your faith walk. We don't want your money. That's not what it's about. We want to unlock obedience in your life that will then open up the storehouses of heaven. For his word says that he will bless you abundantly more than you're even capable of handling if he can trust you with what you have now. But I get it that a lot of us have more bills than we have money at the end of the month. And so it's a faith walk to figure that out. But I encourage you, when you shift your mind into the ecclesia, that it's not just a church we attend, but this is the movement of God. It shifts how you give, and it shifts how you go. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. If you take a moment, if you would just stand across the auditorium this morning, and I would ask that you would just close your eyes. Close your eyes and bow your heads. This is simply just so you can focus on your life, not on the lives of those around me. If you're not able to stand, that's okay. You can do the same sitting. But I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to begin to look inwardly at your own disposition, at your own attitude about church, how you have viewed it over the years. And be honest enough between you and the Holy Spirit this morning. And that is this. Have you been ever left to wonder if there was something more to all of this? Has coming to church just been really tiring and trying and you're not sure if it's even worth it anymore? Or maybe how have you viewed the church? 
I know that you've been through a lot, maybe not only in this season, but some of you in your seasons, you've been through a lot through church, and maybe it's kind of jaded you, and maybe you've become a little bit angst when it comes to church and cynical. This morning can be a fresh start for you. God wants to do a new thing, not by destroying what was, but by building upon it. And then you need to be willing to really respond with this is, what sacrifices will the Lord be asking you to help advance this movement? Because he's going to ask you, and, and maybe he already is, and I'm going to be, what's one of my main prayers is for our people, for God to reveal to you on a daily basis of what can you sacrifice to advance the movement of Jesus in the context of our local gathering, Abundant Church. The question is, are you willing to sacrifice? You see, Jesus, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus gave his life, his whole life, so that we could be a part of his movement. And so if our prayer team can come down to the front, I want to give an opportunity for salvation this morning. You see, Jesus, when he gave the greatest sacrifice ever, which was to lay down his life for you and me. He laid it down because we were separated from him. And we were separated from him because of our own sin. And sin is something that we are born into in this world. It's the choices that we make that are disobedient to God and it separates us from him. And if we don't restore that separation and come back into relationship with him, when we die, we will spend eternity, which never ends in a real place of punishment called hell. But Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave it all to restore that broken relationship, to make that whole so that you can not only go to heaven, but you can experience heaven on earth in the participation of God's church. And so this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never followed him, you've never received his free gift of salvation, this moment is for you. Or maybe at one point in your life you did, you were all in, but then you've kind of wandered down your own paths recently. You've not been following the ways of Jesus, but this morning you want to recommit to him and say, Jesus, I'm all in. God, I, I want to follow you like I used to. I want you to be Lord of my life. And this moment is also for you. And so if no one looking around, if you want to follow Jesus or recommit your life to him this morning, I'm just going to ask you to quickly raise your hand high above your head, if that's you right now. Anyone in this room, I see that hand, and I see that hand, and I see that hand. Is there anyone else? And I see that hand. Come on. Is there anyone else who wants to receive and follow Jesus? I see that hand as well. God is saving several. Several people are recommitting their lives this morning to Jesus. Is there anyone else in the house who wants to do that? Just raise your hand high above your head so that I can see. Incredible. 